welcome to the CHGO Bulls podcast presented by PointsBet. Use promo code CHGO when you sign up to get two risk-free bets up to $2,000. I am Will Gottlieb. I am here today with my old mate, Mark Karanzoulis, MK Hoops on Twitter. You're probably following him already, but if you're not, you should do that. Uh, Mark, we had a little week off last week. How are you doing? How's it going? Yep, just uh, one week off, mate, but back on back on deck today. So happy to be back and happy to be talking bulls with you again. It's nice. It is it is nice to be here. It's nice to be talking with you. And today we are going to be talking about probably I, maybe I should have thought more carefully about this before I actually said it out loud, but probably my favorite Chicago Bull to watch since Jimmy Butler. That's wow. pretty high praise. Well, uh, I mean, I love. We- yeah, I was, I was going to say the, well, the other options are like Denzel Valentine. Well, that's, and... that, that's that's why I immediately <laughs> initially like the, the statement that you put out there was like, come on, that doesn't make sense. But then when you started thinking about it, it's like, well, there hasn't been necessarily that many people to root for or actively care about since the uh, the end of the Butler era. So maybe that does make sense. It's not a slight at Zach Levine or DeMar DeRozan or any of the like actual good players that the Bulls have had over the last few years, but... I love watching Lonzo Ball. I think he is just an absolutely insane, just incredible defensive player. I think his offensive impact is really, really important on this team. And obviously, the season kind of fell apart when he – it was awesome when he was playing, and they kind of fell apart when he's not. But today, um, I want to talk about like sort of the impact that he had on the season and where the narrative has gone and if that's getting a little bit out of control – in terms of like how important he actually is definitely i think he's like massively important in general um i remember when we recorded our season preview on bulls hq last year i said he was going to be an all-star which was my spiciest (laughs) take and uh yeah i mean that was that was a bold take but i do think he had that kind of impact especially to start the year obviously that was when they were playing their best and then when he got injured in mid-january everything just kind of slid downhill from there But at the same time, you know, I think there are some bigger questions about this Bulls roster and this Bulls team that, you know, I I think we as a fan base, as a sort of community who likes to analyze the team, maybe start to um, mask some of those problems with, well, if Lonzo was healthy, if Lonzo was back. And I think there might be some some deeper issues to dig into. So that's what we're going to do here today. Um, But first, let's get into just like the status update because it's been so vague with Lonzo coming back from this knee injury. Mm. So I believe I should have written this down, but I believe the initial injury happened on January 14th against the Warriors. He had surgery on his meniscus on January 28th and was originally a six to eight week timetable that would have put him back around the end of March heading into the playoff stretch. Obviously, he did not play again for the remainder of the 2020-2021 NBA season. Sorry, 21-22 season. And uh, he still may not be ready. I mean, we still don't know. The latest we've heard was sort of a tidbit in a Casey Johnson column that came out with the Justin Lewis news where he said uh, a source uh, close to Balk says that he continues to progress, although his readiness for the start of training camp is unknown. That is cringeworthy. We've gotten stuff from Jamal Collier in early August. Um, AK and Billy were talking about him on the broadcast during Summer League. 
a lot of vague news surrounding Lonzo. And at this point, Mark, I would be really surprised if he were ready to start the season as tough as that is a pill to swallow. Yeah, look, I, I don't really care about any of these updates. And look, I don't, I'm, and I'm reluctant to call them updates because they're not really telling us anything. Like, he's progressing. He's he's basically what we're being told, but like progressing from where? Like, what is the baseline here? And so long as he's progressing, but not necessarily, we don't have any uh, clarity on his readiness, let's say, or if he's ready to go at training camp, then how much does any of this progression really matter, I suppose? Um, so that, that's what, something I always come back to or try reminding myself that, okay, cool. It's, it's nice to say he's progressing, but is he progressing from a point where he's doing literally nothing to doing something? Is he progressing from doing individual stuff to, to five on five? Like w- what is progressing actually mean? There's never ever, there's never that additional context required to the point where he, like, then you, the, then you just naturally start questioning, well, I mean, fine, he's progressing, but like, where, where is he actually at? He's going to be ready for training camp, which is about a month away. So I, I, I don't know what to make of any of this, to be honest with you, until we get anything concrete. And I know you and, you know, Matt and Dave have sort of discussed this, but like until, until we get anything of concrete nature, until we get some sort of verbiage that says Lonzo will be ready for training camp, that then all of this is basically just noise for me. I don't really, I don't really care until we have, more substantive answer. And it's true. It's so true for me too, because when we were getting the, you know, Billy Donovan um, availability pregames, people would be asking him, you know, how's Lonzo doing? What's the status? Is he coming back? And this is all during that six to eight week timetable. And Mm. it was always, well, we're starting to ramp him up and then he has pain and we got to ramp him back down. And everything is just like in terms of where he is in the ramp up ramp down process, which I think is, is, kind of uh kind of funny but also just like to your point i mean nothing is actually happening it doesn't seem like he has made any real progress and by that i mean playing five on five at full speed doing anything at full speed jumping cutting um any of the things that he would actually need to do to get to that point and at this point i should also clarify that we are dealing here with a bone bruise on the knee and not something that is associated with the meniscus tear that he sustained and surgery that he had following that. So it is all relative to this ramp up process. We still don't know where on that process he is, but I think we can all agree at this point until we've heard otherwise that he is actually not fully ramped up and ready to go. And that scares me in the sense that I don't think he'll be ready to start the season. And we're recording this Wednesday night. You guys will listen to it on Friday the NBA schedule just dropped. We've been starting to look at that and dissect and digest. And it's a tough start to the season. And as we've talked about before, the Bulls don't, they can't coast this year. They don't, they're not grandfathered into the playoffs. They can't afford to just like wait around until they get healthy and then turn on the the switch. So Lonzo not being healthy to start the year, I think is a really big deal, obviously. Um, although I do think, you know, given the fact that he played 35 games this past year, the fact that He's never played more than 63 in his career. Uh, They do really need to prioritize having him ready for the playoffs, assuming they make it then the start of the season. But I mean, where are you at with Lonzo in terms of like, do you, how, how freaked out are you that he may miss the start of the season? And you know, how bad do you think a a scenario is that? 
Well, well, connecting a couple of topics here. So you mentioned the NBA releasing the schedule and the fact that they're, they're going with this rivalry round or rivalry, rivalry <laughs> week rather. And, and somehow the Bulls and Hornets are now apparently rivals because of Lonzo and, uh, and Lamelo. But like my immediate thought when I saw that, you know, ignoring the fact that it's just absurd that they, these teams are supposedly rivals was like, how are you going to build a rivalry around Lonzo Ball when you can't necessarily even be confident that he's going to be playing in that game? So I guess... You know, connecting it back to, to what we're talking about, Lonzo more generally, like he may be ready for the start of the season, and, and that would be obviously amazing if that if that is the case. Obviously, we want Lonzo playing in as, as many games as possible, but I'm less I'm less concerned about him not necessarily being ready for the start of the season, but just more generally being nervous about Lonzo Ball, you know, his health going forward. Four of the five seasons he's played in the NBA have been interrupted via some sort of notable injury. He's played effectively one year where he hasn't had a significant injury, and that was his last season in New Orleans. So I guess like um, I'm, I'm obviously concerned with the fact that he may not be ready by camp. He may not be re- ready by the um, the start of the, the regular season. But even if he is, I would still have just general nervousness around Lonzo and his health and, and his longevity based on his track record record at this point, because four out of five years have been marred with some sort of injury, some more serious than others. So I guess even if he is ready, Will, there will always be something in the back of my mind where I'll be questioning, like, how how dependable is this dude? And it's unfortunate because for the reasons you note at the top of the show, like he's just someone that is uh, extremely important to this team, was very good for the Bulls last season when he was on the floor, which is why he was so valuable and why we point to to his success or the team's success when he was sort of on the on, on the court. But more generally, I guess, irrespective of what happens now, like over the next month or two, like I'm just going to be questioning the uh, the injury status of Lonzo Ball going forward for, for a number of months until it's something that maybe he proves over time is no longer an issue. Obviously, that's going to have to take um, you know, a lot of time to prove that given his track record. But I, I guess my point is like, even if he is healthy um, in October, November, can we be certain that he's going to be healthy in January, February, March, etc.? And maybe that's some of it's will come down to how the Bulls manage his injuries, manage his workload, manage his um, the amount of time he plays in games. Maybe some of that's you can't necessarily manage. Maybe it'll be another freak injury that he um, he you know sustains that you just can't plan around. I don't know. I guess my point is just more generally, I'm going to be a little bit uh, nervous with Lonzo, his health, and and how reliable he can be. Yeah, we talk about it with Matt and Dave all the time. Everybody on Bulls Twitter and every Bulls fan is talking about health and the importance of having Lonzo, um, but not just Lonzo, obviously, like Zach had the injury last year. Caruso was down. Um, This whole team, I think, is really a a red flag in terms of injury. And that is just, it's tough because you saw how good they can be. And I think that's kind of what we want to get in here to today is like, Basically, how real was it? Um, I think everybody is excited by how good they were and wants to believe that that's how good they really can be. Um, obviously, they showed for an extended period of time that they were, you know, top of the East. But like, is was it just Lonzo falling off the, you know, falling off of the the page here a little bit, and and that being the thing that really unraveled the season, or or is there more to dissect there? Because I think we can all agree, like Lonzo is great. You know, I'm not trying to take away anything from his season. As I said before, he's definitely, I'm super high on him, probably higher than most. Um, he had, he had what was 
a career season, obviously only played the 35 games this year, but 13 points, five and a half rebounds, five assists, almost two steals, almost a block. He shot, uh, funnily enough, the same percentage from the field as he did from three, 42.3, uh, 42.3% on 7.4 threes per game, which would have been a career best. Uh, just like an awesome all around season that he was having. He, he made the offense hum with his transition play with his side to side ball movement. And then the defensive side was just like outrageous. Um, he was 15th in the league in defensive EPM at 2.5 and 16th in defensive Raptor. Uh, the bulls were 8.6 points per 100 possessions better with him on the floor compared to when he sat. I mean, really just completely changed the tenor alongside Alex Caruso of mm. what what the Bulls could be. And I just want to take a moment here to talk about how good he was because um, I think I, you also had mentioned to me that, you know, maybe this idea of, you know, well, look what happened when he, when he got injured. Look what happened to the Bulls season. Maybe that's a little bit overstated. Yeah, and I want to get into that a little bit more later in the show because I think that's – and you alluded to it to it before like our natural tendency as fans is to say well you know we were we were going this well without Lonzo or with Lonzo rather you take him away and we saw what happened the Bulls obviously lost a lot of games towards the end of the season uh didn't really (laughs) weren't very competitive in the playoffs let's say so it's easy to just put all that back to, to Lonzo and say you know you remove someone like Lonzo who's so important to the team then obviously you know results like that will ensue which I I don't fully uh, agree with, and I think it's too much of a risks. Risk not the right word because it's it's not actually really a risk. Like we're just talking here, so it's not actually an actual risk. These are high stakes conversations, Mark. <laughs> CHGO oh, clearly, clearly. This is it. This is the <laughs> this is the pinnacle. But I, I guess my point is like. I, I just think it's a little bit uh, elementary just to just say that, you know, removing Lonzo or Lonzo not being there was a reason for all of our, our, our woes. And, you know, if you're having him back, then everything will be fine. We'll be all good. We'll be back towards the top of the East. I think it's just a little bit too easy to say all that. And, and maybe it's a little bit too hopeful for my liking, but um, nonetheless, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later on. But in terms of his season, yeah, he was perfect for this team. The way we wanted to play on defense, the way the Bulls operated on offense, everything Lonzo did, um, I guess without the ball, I think was was just super important, and and, and it made everything flow, and like that was ultimately the the, the takeaway for, from for me at least when I, we kind of already intuitively intuitively knew it, but once you removed Lonzo, you just understood that this Bulls team was a team last season who didn't necessarily have a lot of margin for error, and I kept coming back to that fact that when things were complete, when they were whole, they could compete with anyone. At one point in time, I thought they were, you know, I had a, a, an outside chance of maybe sneaking a title here. But for that to happen, everything needed to go perfectly right because of their margin margin for error was so thin because you don't necessarily have a top five, top ten player that you can lean on when a player like Lonzo goes out. And obviously it wasn't just Lonzo who went out, but when you start to remove these little bits and pieces from a team like the Bulls who have such a thin margin for error, that's when you run into problems, which is why a couple of weeks back when we were talking about continuity and you know whether whether things should change, whether this Bulls team should remain as is, whether they should try to Lonzo-proof their roster, you know, think about different ways of playing uh, the game. That these are the this is why it's important to have those conversations because the margin of error of this team was was quite thin. So 
is that going to change going forward? I, I'm not expecting it to that, that to be the case, which is obviously why um, you know having Lonzo ready for the start of the season is crucial. But you know, time will tell. But in terms of his impact last season, you read all the numbers. Um, we all know how impactful he was. But uh, I, the fit, the fit factor, like, is this a perfect fit for what the Bulls wanted to do on both sides of the ball? Um, but more, more generally, he was just a perfect fit next to guys like you know Vooch uh, and Levine and Demar. Like, he, he was a perfect, perfect fit. Yeah, I think people call him a point guard. I wouldn't really. I mean, he no. gets a ton of assists. I don't think he was a point guard. He no. is more like Draymond Green point guard to me, where you know the offense isn't really running through him. He's like directing traffic, and he's benefiting in the form of getting a lot of assists per game. Mm. But I think Draymond or some combination of like Draymond and Mikael Bridges is kind of where I sit with Lonzo in terms of his ability to impact the game as an on-ball defender with these super long arms at 6'6", um, and just like getting his nose in wherever he possibly can, um, just swiping down at the ball, like doing everything he can to possibly make life difficult for whoever he's guarding. Um, what I loved watching about him the most was the way that he would move around as an off-ball defender. That's where mm-hmm. the Draymond comps, I think, come in for me a little bit. Just yeah. like the amount of ground that he could cover, um, the way that he would direct traffic as a weak side helper, the way he would protect the rim as a weak side helper. Uh, there are possessions where he would be like guarding the corner of the wing on one side, float to the opposite corner, float back to the strong side you know, wing, and and just like be all over the floor. Um, and, you know, I, I think Caruso was more of that on ball guy who could, you know, be the point of a defect point of attack defender who could, mm-hmm. you know, get into Giannis a little bit. Um, yeah. I think Lonzo could do some of that, but where he really brought value was, as you said, next to Zach and next to Vooch, two guys where he could really make up for their mistakes. And that's where I think this idea of, well, the defense fell off when Lonzo left. Obviously that's going to be true because Lonzo is a great defender and he makes, up for a ton of mistakes, but like just because Lonzo is gone, maybe there's a little bit more going on on the defensive end um, to where, you know, there are, as you said before, like Lonzo proving the roster and making some of these mistakes a little bit more fixable because the depth I think is not in a place where the bulls would love it to be given the fact that, you know, you, you remove one guy and that's like the entire defensive system falling apart. Yeah, and look, we'll talk about this a little bit later on as well, but just to, to maybe discuss it a little bit here at the same time, like so much of this is about Lonzo and, and what he does bring when he's on the court, but it's also, you know, it also relates to what, what happens when you take him off the court and who you're replacing with him or who you're replacing Lonzo with. Now, last season, ideally you're replacing, you know, Lonzo with Caruso, but Caruso missed a lot of basketball games as well, which is why, you know, if why everything compounded the way it did. So to me, like as, as, as important as Lonzo is, as obviously the fact that we need to keep him around and get him as healthy as possible for most of the season, because the Bulls, again, will be a thin margin for our team. They need to have their best players available for the majority of these games if they want to be a, a top four team, if they want to get back to the point where they were at the all-star break, where they're on top of the East. Like you need your guys available, but at the same time, you just can't have a situation where you're replacing someone like Lonzo, who's so important with having, you know, more minutes for guys like, you know, Kobe White as an example, or Io. Like Io was fantastic last season, but at, at one point he hit the rookie wall and at, ultimately he was a, an untested player, a player who was, 
yeah, obviously learning how to play an NBA game and, you know, had his high moments, but at the same time, he's not Lonzo Ball. So, so much of it is about Lonzo himself, but like who you're replacing him with and, and the fit of that player next to guys like Levine, DeMar and, and Vooch. Like Lonzo made so much sense because of who he is and how he fits with that. But if you take Lonzo off the court, you've got no Caruso maybe to lean on. Maybe you're having to put Kobe White out on, on, the, on the floor. All, all, all of a sudden, you've got Kobe out there with Levine, DeMar and, and Vooch and no wonder it's problematic from a defensive standpoint. So to me, like a lot of the conversation is about like Lonzo and, and his importance, but it's it's when you take him off the floor, what are you doing? And, and what, what capable options do you have? And and if for whatever reason Caruso is not on the floor too, then then that's when you run into problems. But we'll, we'll touch on that in more detail a little bit later on. Well, let's do that uh, after a quick break here to talk about points bet. Um, as you guys know, we love points bet here at CHGO and the points bet sports book is counting down the days until the football season starts and they will have a new offer every single day until the season kicks off from now until September 8th points bet power hour will unlock a new daily offer from 12 to 1 PM central time. Sign up for points bet now using code CHGO to get a risk-free bet up to $2,000 Don't miss out on your chance to get daily access to free bets, boosted odds, and so much more now through September 8th. If you make a $51, they're changing it from $50 to $51 first-time deposit, you'll receive a free CHGO membership. You can read my work. You can read uh, our Chicago Sky work. They're playing their first playoff game right now. We've got the Cubs going on, the White Sox, Bears are starting up, Adam Hogue, Nick Moriano. You guys got to read them uh, with your free membership that comes along with the $51 dollar deposit on points bet. Uh, you will also get a free t-shirt of your choice from the CHGO Alaha, as Big Dave would say. Uh, so download the app, use code CHGO to take advantage of this limited time offer. Do it. Do it now, people. Um, all right, but let's let's talk about Lonzo here a little bit more in terms of you know the the on-off situation and what losing him meant to sort of the team as a whole um, from a statistical perspective. So one of the things that I actually found really interesting when I was starting to dig into this was, you know, obviously the, the defense was so much better, as I mentioned before, negative six and a half defensive swing. So basically the bulls when Lonzo was on the court versus when he was off the court uh, were 8.6 points per 100 possessions better. Um, to be clear, that is while he was playing. So those were in games where he was active, not just on the season as a whole. Um, but his offensive swing was actually negative as well. The Bulls were worse with him on the floor offensively. And when I thought about that, I was very surprised because we have this narrative about the three-point attempts. He took the 7.4 threes per game and shot at a 42.3% clip. The transition game, everybody loves to you know tweet that video where he throws the one-handed overhand pass through two guys' arms, and Zach Levine does the 360. That was, like, the greatest moment of the season. Um, But, you know, and and then the assist numbers were also, uh, you know, something that that stood out to me as far as, like, um, you'd think, and the Bulls were actually a better assisting team when he was on the court, but for all that to be true and the Bulls to have a negative on-off swing, offensive on-off swing with Lonzo on the court, what do you make of that? That was super surprising to me. Well, look, I don't know how much stock I put into it, just just due to the fact that, again, when Lonzo was playing, there was so much turmoil, even 
even when he was playing. Like, I mean, if we go back to December, there were so many lineup changes uh, just due to COVID. So obviously the Bulls were one of the first teams last season to be ravaged by COVID. And, um, you know, the the, low, the lineups, the rotations, all of that was sort of questionable, I guess, from that perspective. But, um, you know, more generally, it's it, it kind of makes sense from that standpoint, I guess. But, yeah, I think where, where it is, for me at least, uh, interesting, like, and something where I've always been coming back to, like a lot of the team's weaknesses more generally offensive, offensively, where you think Alonzo does impact things and he most certainly does. I'm not saying he doesn't, but we're talking about, we're not, we're not talking about a situation where the Bulls are going from first to 30th or something like that. It's, it's marginal decreases. Um, for example, like three point attempt rate or three point attempts more generally, like, yeah, Lonzo was an amazing shooter. He he shot 40-odd percent from three, as you noted before, 42.3% on a high volume, seven, eight attempts per game. You take that away, then you would expect, obviously, that the Bulls' three-point attempts um, to, to naturally fall off. But, like, even when Lonzo was playing, like, they were bottom five and if not last in three-point attempts. And that was the case. Yeah, they were, they were last with 30.3 three-point attempts per game. Yeah. Before Lonzo's injury and then after he left, they did go down to 27.7, yeah. but we're obviously still last place i mean that's that's a big gap i mean that's like two and a half threes per game which is significant but again and this is something we will talk more about basically you're you're still still last and you can't be and you can't be exactly so like whether lonzo is there or not to me like your your three-point shooting is going to be a problem irrespective of if he's he's healthy or not like transition as well you've noted these numbers like yes the bulls were a fantastic or at least a very good transition team when Lonzo was playing, they definitely fell off after his injury, but it's not like they were top two, top three when Lonzo was around sort of thing. So we're, we're talking about maybe a couple points here from a fast break perspective, whereby if you remove Lonzo, it's not like you're losing five to 10 points per game as an example. So it sort of speaks to your point around the, there's a narrative maybe that has built there. If you remove Lonzo, then all of a sudden these aspects of the ball's game has sort of just disappeared, which is not necessarily true. Yeah, and as you said, it's the same with transition. Uh, the Bulls were eighth in transition in fast break points prior to Alonzo's injury and fell to 22nd afterwards. Um, as I mentioned, the assist percentage went down from 22nd before the injury to 27th. That surprised me a little bit that the Bulls were only 22nd in the league in assist percentage. Uh, the way that we talk about him is often like the ball was popping around. Uh, you know, we weren't really seeing as much of that Damar isolation stuff and i think that did obviously you know increase as the season went on and as injuries tallied up but um they were not a super high you know assist percentage team prior to the injury and then obviously that went way down before um and then the last one that really stood out was as i as i kind of alluded to like the offensive rating before this is this is a really interesting one the offensive rating before Mm. the injury was 112.1. That was fifth in the NBA. So they were really humming. It actually went up after Lonzo's injury from 112.1 to 112.9. At the same time, they dropped 15 spots in the offensive rating. So I think this is something we've touched on before, but like a lot of this is just that like teams started to hit their stride at different times in the season. And um, it was was kind of a similar story with the defense, although the defense really uh, plummeted once Lonzo fell. They went from 18th to 27th and the net rating followed suit. So um, I wonder, you know, a lot of this is just like hypotheticals and like not being able to provide the counterfactual of what would have happened had Lonzo stayed healthy throughout the whole year. But 
I do think, and the Celtics are a great example of a team that really started off slow. They were 23 and 24 and then finished the season on like a 72 and 10 bulls type of run and, you know, carried that all the way to the finals. So, um, I don't know. I mean, it just, it makes me wonder about, you know, what's going to happen next year if, and when Lonzo is healthy and like how real this idea, um, that like Lonzo, once Lonzo is healthy, it'll be, everything will be hunky dory again. Yeah. So this is where I push back against that, that, that idea that, you know, uh, you know, people like to refer to the fact that look what, look what we were doing before Lonzo got hurt and, and look what happened thereafter and, and how it's convenient to sort of put it all on Lonzo and to say, because he was gone, the Bulls, that's why the Bulls really sort of fell off at towards the back end of the season. It sort of omits any blame anywhere else. It maybe sort of covers up any issues nice and neatly and, and just allows us to funnel it all to this one excuse, which I don't think is fair. And, and the reason why I say that and maybe putting on more of an opt- optimistic lens, like it wasn't just Lonzo that we were without last season. So, uh, you know, in terms of in, in the event that Lonzo, for whatever reason, isn't ready to go at the start of the season, I don't necessarily think that's the end of the world for the Bulls. And the reason why I say that, Will, is like, yes, Lonzo missed essentially the the last half of the season, like January 15 onwards from uh, last season, which was game 41 just by chances. Like from that point on, Lonzo didn't play another basketball game, which was 41 games. But at the same time, uh, during that that amount of games, 41 games, Alex Caruso missed 27 of those 41 games for a number of different reasons. Obviously, the, the most telling reason being uh, his uh, incident, let's say, with uh, Grayson Allen. So he missed the majority of those games. We know Patrick Williams missed the majority of those games because he was out for most of the season. Derek Jones Jr. missed twenty-one of those, uh, twenty-two of those forty-one games, and Zach Levine as well missed thirteen of those forty-one games because of his knee injury. And not to mention that Javante Green also missed you know, six or seven of those games as well. So, yes, it's nice and easy to say uh, we didn't have Lonzo. That's the reason why we lost these games. Why, uh, why the Bulls fell off the way they did? But it wasn't the fact that the Bulls were just without Lonzo Ball. Like, they were without half their rotation at one point. So it's, I guess, like, I guess what I'm saying is, like, it's it's not just on Lonzo. I think in that sense, when we say this is all this all happened because we didn't have Lonzo Ball, one, you, we're being somewhat disrespectful to those other players that did miss games. But conversely, like, if those players are playing basketball games, and to your point about counterfactually, we can't necessarily know this, but like, if Caruso doesn't miss twenty-seven or forty-one games, if Derek Jones Jr. doesn't miss twenty-two or forty-one games, if Levine doesn't hurt his knee and he's healthy enough to play in, in those thirteen games that he missed, like, do the Bulls fall off the way they did, even without Lonzo? Like, to me, I don't think that I don't think they do. Obviously, I can't prove that. There's no way of proving that. But that's that's, that's the way I'm sort of approaching this now, going to this next upcoming season. In the event that for whatever reason Lonzo isn't ready. I don't think that means the end of the end of the season for the Bulls, but just before it's even started, because I would expect Caruso, Javante, Derek Jones Jr., Patrick Williams, Zach Levine, etc., to all be healthy and to be ready. Now, obviously, if you remove those guys, if Demar gets hurt, then maybe that maybe things change. But I don't know. I just think we're overrating Conzo's impact. We're understating the fact that other guys were missing games and the fact that this Bulls roster. I think can, uh, can sustain one injury like someone to Lonzo. Yes, obviously we prefer Lonzo playing than not, but let's not discredit the other guys. And I think, you you know, without Lonzo being ready at the start of the season, that Caruso can start. I think the Bulls will still be a good team and ready to go. And in, in that situation, we'll be able to cover 
someone like Alonso. It's when you get to a point when you're missing Alonso, Caruso, Levine, and those sorts of things where you run into the issues that the Bulls did, did last season. So I, I'm, I'm sort of starting to question, Will, if, if, if Alonso's impact has this just more generally being overrated at this point. Yeah, I mean, when we started talking about what we we're going to discuss on this show and you mentioned that I was like, well, I'm total opposite. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I think this was like very much a situation of, you know, the bulls lost one of their most impactful players. Of course, their season is going to head a different direction. And to a certain extent, I do feel that way still. I mean, you could tally off all the numbers that you want. Um, and you know, I just did. And you know, I'm going to keep doing it because I love my basketball reference, but um, I mean, just like the the defensive infrastructure and the way that this team was constructed. And I think this is kind of what you mean by Lonzo proofing, but like this whole system was built around basically Lonzo and Caruso's ability to defend on the ball, defend at the point of attack, mm-hmm. blow up pick and roll actions on their own, mm-hmm. and then have each other to make up for all the mistakes that would go, around, go on around them. So yeah. basically you have this center in Vucevic who you know, I think is a fine positional defender, but he's obviously got his limitations. He can't move super quickly. He gets beat. Um, the Bulls gave up a ton, I think, if not like a bottom five number in terms of, uh, you know, shots attempted at the rim. Like teams were getting to their spots against the Bulls defense. Um, but if you can sort of like nip that in the bud and blow up some of these actions before they even start the way that Caruso and Lonzo were able to, especially even Caruso before his injury. I don't think he was the same player afterwards. But when you're able to blow some of those up, I mean, it makes Vucevic look better. It makes Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan and Patrick Williams, to a certain extent, their mistakes less um, apparent, less visible. And Mm. so when you build, and this is a rare thing, I think, in the NBA, to build a defense around guards. I mean, most teams build it around switching, switching bigs like the Heat with Bam Adebayo or... Um, you know, a, a funneling sort of defense that goes into a real rim protector like Miles Turner or Rudy Gobert, Rudy, yeah. uh, who can really yeah. defend the rim at like the highest level. Mm-hmm. The Bulls built their defense on two six four six five six six guys, and basically said like destroy everything before it happens, or this like this thing is going to fall apart. And so mm-hmm. uh, it was, I think, a bit of a paper tiger. Billy ha- has even yeah. admitted it. Like other people in the organization I've talked to have said, like they weren't as good as they were when they were at their best. I think they also weren't as bad as they were when they were at their worst. And and to your point, I think that's where you can't have a sense of optimism going into next season that like they're not going to be as bad as they were down the stretch. I mean, everything was catching up to them and it was really a snowball effect, but Mm -hmm. that snowball effect did start with Lonzo. And so that's, I think where I'm hesitant to go all in on the, like Lonzo is not, and I know you're not saying this, but Lonzo is not as important or we're overstating his importance because I do think it all kind of starts with him. And you can look just to the defensive system where it all starts with him. Um, Of course, that's going to be a difficult thing to replicate when he's gone and if you're not able to fix that on the fly or you don't have guys that can step in and be just as good or 95% or 90% as good as he was, yeah, it's going to it's gonna start to slide. And then when you start walking with a little bit of a limp on your right side, you're overcompensating with your left foot and you're going to start to have some structural issues with your knee and your hip. And so it's like these minor injuries really started to, to mm. load up on the whole Bulls defensive system and... I think it's I think it's too easy to say, yeah, well, look, they were, you know, 15th in defense with Lonzo and 27th without him. 
Well, that's true. That I mean, those are the numbers, but I think a little bit more went into that slide. Uh, one is probably that they were overperforming with Lonzo. Uh, and two was that, you know, not having him caused this cascade of other issues that went up and down, you know, the whole Bulls defensive roster, essentially. Yeah, and look, another way to put it, like, for example, like the Heat, the, the, their defense is built around Bam, but then you've got someone like Jimmy as well on, on the perimeter. But, like, if you ta- if you remove Bam, you would expect the Heat's defense to slide some. But if you remove Bam and Jimmy, then obviously it's going to slide even further. Like, and like that's the that's ultimately what happened in, for the Bulls. Like, you remove their two best defensive players. It wasn't just Alonzo who, who left, as I said before. Like, Caruso missed 27 of, of those 41 games that, that Lonzo missed at the back of the back half of last season. So when you take off not one, but both of your defensive anchors, then we shouldn't be surprised when something like this happens. But for whatever reason, it's just been uh, the narrative has sort of switched to the point where, you know, it was all because of Lonzo missing. But like a point to the playoffs, Will, and and the reason why I, I, I'm, I'm somewhat buoyant around their, their ability to navigate, you know, Lonzo's absence is absence is the fact that they they played a really good defensive playoff series against the Bucks. The like the, the Bulls in the in in, in the uh, the playoffs had a one hundred eight defensive rating against the Bucks. Compared to that, compare a one hundred one hundred eight defensive rating across the season, that would have been top five. Like that's comparable to a top five defense a, a, against the regular season. Now, obviously, there's context to that. It's a smaller sample, five games. Who the hell knows if you um you replicate that over a a larger sample if 108 holds. But the point is, like, they had Caruso in place there of, of Lonzo starting at point guard. You had Io backing him up. You had a situation where you weren't just without Lonzo. Um, or you were just with... The situation was you were just without Lonzo. You weren't also missing Caruso. You weren't also missing Derek Jones Jr., Javante, Patrick Williams, etc. Like, they were able to show in the playoffs that when somewhat healthy that they could at least compete defensively. They weren't ever going to be an all-world defensive team without Lonzo, but they could at least get by. Where they really struggled uh, in the playoffs was on offense, where they had like a 94.4 offensive rating. So to me, like uh, if Lonzo is not playing, if Lonzo isn't necessarily ready at the start of the season, and so long as you've got uh, you know Caruso starting at point guard with Io in, the, in your back pocket to throw up there as a, back, uh, as a backup point guard, assuming that's what happens, or... Maybe that's not possible because of the whole Goran Dragic thing, but we'll obviously time will tell and, and we'll see what that how that plays out. But I guess my point is, if you've got Caruso, if you've got Io, if you've got Patrick Williams for most of the season, if you've got uh, Javante and, and Derek Jones Jr. as options there that you can plug in um, from a defensive wing point of view as well, like you do have some options where defensively you can live without Lonzo. It's probably more where I'm concerned, honestly, is on offense and and. The, the, to me, at least, that was the biggest problem um, in the playoffs. And you can hope, uh, or at least I'm hoping, that some of that can be um, overcome with uh, Zach Levine being uh, not injured going forward. But to me, like I said before, I, I kind of feel like this is the whole Lonzo thing is being overstated um, some, that he's being overrated a little bit. And I, and I point to the playoffs where I thought the Bulls had a really good defensive shot. Yeah, and I think I think you're right. Um, certainly, like, they need... They need to shoot more. They need to move the ball more. They need to get on transition more. Like these are all things that that were really the Bulls' identity, and then you know, and also are very much like who Lonzo is as a player. I mean, that is not only just like who he is, but that's that's all of him, right? Um, and so to lose that, you're going to lose a part of your identity. But for me, defensively, 
just going back to that for a second, I mean, I think they could make up for a lot of the on-ball stuff and the point-of-attack stuff when Aya really stepped up because, um, you know, I think he really obviously, like, had a great rookie season, but he he really surprised me in terms of his ability to do a lot of that blowing up at the point-of-attack stuff that, you know, Lonzo and Crusoe give you at a super high level, where I think the Bulls really missed Lonzo even more so was on the help and just being somebody that can like rotate and rotate twice. I mean, I, I think of Lonzo as a guy that would just like fit beautifully in the Raptors defensive system as somebody who can just like fly all over the place and make up for people's mistakes and just has like a genius level basketball IQ that, that can send him where to go and just like allow him to be a little reckless, um, you know, go a little cowboy mode, but not really get hurt by it because of just how smart he is. And so I think they were able to sustain, you know, some of the, some of the on-ball stuff, but there was really no one. And I would love for Patrick to be that guy. I think Javante does an all right job at this, but I again, think he's more of that on-ball presence. They didn't really have anybody that could like help Vooch from the weak side when he's containing, um, you know, a ball handler two on one now after, you know, somebody got stuck on a screen. They just, they didn't have anybody to do that. And now DeMar's in that situation or Zach is in that place Mm, and mm. they've got to play help and that's just not going to happen. So to me, that's really where, like, I I wonder if there's a way to quantify like help rotations or, you know, maybe second spectrum has something like this, like who are the best guys at like executing a defensive scheme? I'm sure there's a way to track that. I'm also sure it's not publicly available, but Lonzo to me would be, towards the top of that list in the entire NBA just and and so when you remove that it it does really remove a piece of your identity and I think that was really where the Bulls just like couldn't come back from it but offensively and I think this is where we can start to move into like some of the the remedy the remedies for some of the Bulls ailments in terms of like just their style of play and their system and what they need to do to be more competitive um you know obviously the three-point stuff is one of them obviously ball movement and transition. But to me, they can do a lot of that stuff with or without Lonzo. And I think that's where I was a little bit more frustrated with them. Like the defense, obviously you, you know, you remove one of your legs, you're going to walk funny, but offensively you can make up for some of that stuff. If you are like missing a finger, you can still live without it. Mm -hmm. Completely agree. Uh, Yeah. I definitely want to get into that a little bit more because um, yeah, removing Lonzo doesn't mean you can't play transition offense now. Like this is still a team that would thrive playing transition offense uh, or using defense to fuel their transition offense with, with Lonzo or without, like you've got guys on this, on this team who who thrive in that situation. Like Io is a fantastic transition player, like coming into the NBA. Like if, if there was one area that I was confident that he would be good at was his ability to get out in transition and, and, and do stuff in, from that perspective. You know, if you're having Derek Jones Jr. and Javante Green like running lanes on breaks, you know that's finishing with a dunk. Same thing with Zach Levine. Like he was born to play in transition. Um, obviously, maybe that's less less the case for guys like uh, Demar and, and Vooch. But at the same time, when one of those guys is on the floor, or off the floor rather, then that's the way you can sort of still pursue that transition game. And, and yeah, I, I completely agree with you on, on that. And and that's what was. I want to get more into this whole Lonzo proving the roster because I think that's how they have to start thinking about it because the defense last year, whilst it was a nice story when they were, everyone was healthy, it, it did feel a little gimmicky at times and I didn't know how sustainable it was, um, particularly comparing it to like half-court playoff 
half half court playoff basketball? Can you really force uh, turnovers? Can you really get into into transition at the same rate that you do in the, in the regular season? I think that's a uh, that's a fair question to have. So you have to start thinking of ways that we can, you know, find a way to Lonzo proof the roster. Um, so let's get into that a little bit more. But William, can I tell the people about Foco first? Please do. Well, look, everyone listening in, they already know that they're getting the best sports coverage for anything Chicago-related, whether it's Bulls, whether it's Cubs, whether it's Bears, any of these. Uh, the Sky, the Sky are obviously playing basketball right now in the playoffs. So any, all yeah, like, it's, just general. It's, uh, it's a little tight here. We're down three with a minute 40 to go. I'm, I'm keeping my eye on the scoreboard as we're recording here. Well, hopefully they win. Well, obviously when we release this podcast, people will know if that's the case or not. But the point here, Will, is like people are already getting the best coverage for their favorite Chicago team. So why not get fitted out in the best sports gear going around? And that's where FOCO comes into this equation, folks. Uh, you got, you've got to get yourself covered from anything related to Soldier Field to the front room, north or south side with hoodies, slippers, signs, bobbleheads, and everything in between. You can go to own over to uh, to fo- to after uh, Foco, and that will get yourself decked out. If you want to look like Demar Derozan, like De- Demar's always decked out in, you know, just I've never seen Demar Derozan not being something cool. Like in terms of like, I don't, I, what do you call it? The sweats, I guess, is what you guys call them. Like, we, we refer to them as track suits, but like Demar always looks amazing in those things. So if you want to be decked out like Demar with apparel from leaders in sports, like in sports merch and collectibles. Foco is where you go, William. So if you're looking for the perfect gift for the football fan in your life, with you know football starting up, the Bears, all that sort of stuff, if you want to get your hands on some Bear merch, then where do you go? You go over to Foco. They've got you covered with hoodies, and uh, you know, I'm assuming, well, you you guys, it's got well, you're in Brazil now, but it's going to get start to get a little bit colder in the Northern Hemisphere as well. So head on over to Foco, grab yourself a hoodie, fight that Lake Michigan breeze. So check out. When you go to check out foco.com, um, you can get a 10% discount when you use promo code CHGO on all non-presale items. That's 10% off. So if you want some cool Chicago merch, head on over to foco.com. All righty. So we were talking about Lonzo proofing this roster. So, I mean, when, when do you think... Where do you think that starts and, and ends, Will, and how realistic do you think that is? Like, is that something that they should be doing more generally? Just the fact that, as we touched on before, that maybe there's some things here that are a little bit gimmicky and not sustainable? Or, uh, you know, should, should they be viewing it from that lens more generally and then thinking about it than Lonzo proofing the thing, uh, Lonzo proofing the roster? Obviously, there's a bit of a, by, a byproduct of doing one or the other, but do you think it's more of a concept that's, uh, trying to Lonzo-proof your roster or just trying to be better, I suppose? Yeah, I think it's... Uh, it's let's start with the defensive side. I think a lot of it for me is just like be better. And it's hard to do that when you don't have, like I said, you don't have that guy who really understands how to be a great help side defender. Um, I don't think like... Maybe you could call it a little gimmicky. I don't think it was like that out of the realm of normal, their defensive scheme. It was just that like... They were putting like mediocre to bad defensor defensive players around a lot of these actions and had two of them basically propping up the whole thing on their own. So is there like a defensive system that I could point to to say, well, maybe they should try this instead? I don't really know. I mean, like as we all kind of joke about, like Vooch was not at the point of attack on these screens. Like he was they were playing drop defense. That is as conservative as you can get when it comes to defending pick and rolls. Um, 
Could we see a little bit more zone? Maybe, but I, again, I think that relies a lot on the ability to understand help defense. And I don't really think a lot of the guys are well-equipped to do that. So for me, I think defensively, a lot of it has to do with just like being better, understanding the assignments and um, trying to improve on that help, that help side defense. And that will maybe raise the floor a little bit. You're never going to get to that same ceiling with somebody who's as genius as Lonzo, but I don't know. What do you think about that? Is that sort of like a too, too militant of a, just be better. Well, look, it's funny you use the word militant because I was about to reference Tibbs here. So like the way the Bulls played defense last season was very anti-Tibbs in a lot of ways, like getting in those passing lanes and being super aggressive on ball and, and, and actively trying to, to turn turn teams over. Like that's not very Tibbs in it. Uh, if anything, t- the Tibbs style of defense is, is more conservative, using angles on the court to uh, – or using the court itself to be effectively their sixth defender on the court. So right. I, I would kind of like – I'm not suggesting they go back and play Tibbs style of, of defense, but be more conservative about it in the sense that maybe the ethos of the, of the, the team defense is no longer – you know, being crazy and being manic and trying to get into a situation where, where you're trying to force a, an on-ball uh, turnover every single time. And instead, rather than, you know, f- trying to force that, rather than trying to get into the lanes, rather than helping that aggressively to the point where then you're forcing a situation where the guy behind you may need to help, maybe peel that back a bit. Rather than being overly aggressive in that sense, you stay home on your man a little bit more. You start playing uh, your 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 you direct matchup rather than playing the ball, I guess. And in that situation whereby you're not necessarily being as aggressive with the ball, trying to force turnovers, then in turn, maybe you're not then putting in, you know, someone like DeMar or, Le- or Levine or, or Vucci even in the situation where they then have to cover as a help defender. Um, so I, I guess what I'm saying is that just minimize those situations where you're being overly aggressive, stay home on your defender or your offensive player that you're defending. And in turn, or in turn, rather, that will hopefully remove those situations where you're then forcing your own defense to have to rotate and to help and do those sorts of things. Yes, you can do that when you have Lonzo out there. You've got Caruso, potentially Patrick Williams as well. Maybe you'd be more aggressive when those guys are on the floor. But more generally, if you scale that back 5 10 15% and you're a little bit more conservative, you stay home a little bit and you're not forcing your own team into those rotations, then maybe in that situation you're not going to generate as many uh, you know, turnovers and you're not going to give the transition as much. But if that means that your defense is going to be a little bit more reliable, a little bit more sustainable, particularly when someone like Lonzo isn't on the floor, whether it's just due to the rotation or, or, or an injury or whatever the situation situation may be, like to me, that is Lonzo proofing the roster, but it's also making what they're doing on defense a little bit more sustainable and a little bit more productive and a little bit more long-term thinking, I guess, because... Look, the way they they played last season, it, it was nice to watch. But at the same time, like that's something you do when you've got a young athletic team potentially. Like this is an aging roster, you can't exactly ask them to be flying around on the court and uh, you know getting into pass lanes and doing that for an eighty-two game regular season. So not to mention the playoffs as well. So I think they could scale things back defensively. It may take some things away from the table, but I think it'll just add a little bit more of a baseline and a more of a steady baseline on defense. So that that's something I would like to see Billy and the team do. Yeah, you mentioned this idea of like, you know, maybe they won't be able to get out and transition as much. And I think the trade-off is important there because as we've talked about, the transition and, 
you know, fast pace and not having to necessarily rely on these DeMar DeRozan isolations from the elbow. Um, you do, I think, lose a little bit of that if you're not trying to get steals and get live ball turnovers. Um, but at the same time, they stopped doing that regardless because they weren't as good at getting out and getting steals and getting out in transition um, because they didn't have their best player to do that. So I think if, if what you're saying is true and they were kind of continuing to sell out on trying to get steals, but not getting them. And as a result, give up layups, or maybe that's, maybe that's a reason why, you know, their percentage of shots allowed at the rim was so high. Um, and their percentage of corner threes allowed was so high because they were trying to erase mistakes before they happened and overreaching and giving up these open looks. Um, yeah, I think you remove some of that. And at the same time, you're also not getting the same production in transition uh, that you would have been with Lonzo. So, you know, maybe not doing that and doing something else would be better as well. So I think that, you know, that's a good question of now, where does that lead you offensively? Because if transition is not as much a part of your identity anymore and three-point attempts are not a part of your identity, not just because of Lonzo, as you mentioned, but because they weren't good at that uh, or they didn't attempt you know, they were last in threes all year long. I mean, they, they need to do more of that, but like all of a sudden now you're not a transition team. You are still not a three point shooting team. You're a very mid range, heavy team relying on a bunch of like fouled on mid range jumper kind of free throw attempt rate team, which I think is like pretty rare and a little lucky. Mm -hmm. Um, so like from a four factors perspective or just like a offensive identity perspective, like where do they go? What do they look to, to try to make up for those losses um, if you are going to try to Lonzo proof this roster and sort of make up for what he, you know, gives you defensively and turns into offense. Like how do you, how do you solve for that without him on the offensive end? Well, I look as a counter, like make, we're assuming the transition game would go down if you're not going around, you know, flying around and, and forcing turnovers in that and getting out into uh, transition in that way. And, you know, that's a natural conclusion to draw. But, you know, maybe the counter to that is if you are being a little bit more conservative on defense, you're not necessarily getting into passing lanes, but you're actually able to be more in, or in, you're in more defensive positions where you're actually closing the defensive possession with a rebound as, as such. Like you, you still may have an ability to push the ball and get into tempo and get into transition from that point of view because maybe you're getting more stops than what you were previously. Um, you're not maybe getting as many steals, as many turnovers, but maybe if a possession's ending with a missed shot and a rebound, you can still get out there and, and and still create offense from that point of view. So I don't think it's guaranteed that if for whatever reason you're not playing this manic style of basketball that you can't get into transition. I think there's still that there's still scope for that to be the case. Um, maybe it's less less possible, but I think it's it is still something that's a, a possible avenue. But in terms of like just more generally, like if you take away transition, you take away that aspect of the Bulls' offensive game, then what can they do instead? I don't know if there is a good answer here, to be honest with you. And a lot of it is just driven by the fact that the, the roster didn't really change. And when we think about this Bulls roster, like 40 to 50% of your field goal attempts are going to be coming from Zach Levine and, and DeMar DeRozan. That was the case last season. That's going to be the case going forward. And if we think about those types of players, you know, where they excel, their general tendencies, like they want to get the ball in isolation. They want to get the ball and shoot from the mid-range. Like, that's just who they are. And because of that, like, ultimately, that is who your team is going to be. So then it becomes a question of, 
do you want to force these guys in them being something that they're not necessarily, you know, that's not their innate nature? Or do you want to sort of lean on what they do well and, and, and see where that takes you? And obviously that's what the Bulls did last season. They, they really lent on DeMar's mid-range game, uh, maybe too much. But um, obviously when Zach was healthy as well, they, they did the same with Zach and they had a one-two punch where you had guys like, like DeMar, like, like Zach, two of the best ISO scorers in the basketball, two of the best mid-range shooters in basketball. Um, I think that should be a, the way they play offense because that's the way those guys naturally succeed. So uh, it's maybe not the, the way that I would prefer them to play or ideally how I would like my team to play. But I don't know. I think you need to lean on what these guys do best and getting them in ISOs, getting them into mid-range. One, I think that makes most sense. But like, I don't necessarily think that there's anything better available to the Bulls. It's not like they're just getting into that situation and ignoring other possible solutions where you, you can really swing the ball side to side and all of a sudden you've got an open shooter in the corner who, who for whatever reason, is being underutilized. Like, it's not a situation whereby that's happening. Like, even, like, if, I, again, we come back to the, the playoffs, like, how many times would do we, did the Bulls have a situation where they would kick the ball out to a three-point shooter or they would swing the ball? Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks were leaving someone open for an open three and... It was, you know, it was just Clank City from that perspective. So, like, am I saying that the or are we suggesting here that the Bulls should move the ball more and, and get the get into a situation where where they're creating more offense off the ball and creating more offense by by passing the ball, but then ultimately getting to the to the to the same result whereby you're swinging the ball to a Javante Green or a Derek Jones Jr. in the corner and. Ultimately, it doesn't matter whether you're going ISO heavy or you're, you're really going to a motion-style offense. If you're creating a situation where the guy who's ending your possession is someone like Javante or Derek Jones Jr., like, does the ultimate result change? I, I don't think so. Yeah, you. I mean, we're on the precipice here of opening up an entire hour's worth of conversation <laughs> about uh, continuity and roster construction, which maybe we'll do next week. But um, I think at the same time, like you're totally right. Where they are best is isolations in mid-range but you know the rest of their offense is not really conducive to the stuff that they need to be good at in order to make those isolations work I mean if everything collapses and you need to kick it out to Javante Green or Derek Jones like that's not working for you as an offense either so I do think that there are like quick hitter early offense stuff that they can incorporate more into their into their playbook um and I imagine that that you will see more of that, just given the way that like everybody started to break down towards the end of the season. I mean, you cannot do that, you know, every single game for 82 games to just have Demar take 40, you know, mid range pull ups a night. That's just you can't do that. But at the same time, you can't. And Billy said this too: like you cannot just put yourself at a complete deficit analytically, where you're getting outgunned by 10 threes a game, and you're not offensive rebounding, and you're yeah. not getting the free throw line enough. Uh, and you're not getting out in transition. Like you just, you cannot, that's just not a way you can play if you want to be competitive. Um, and as awesome as DeMar and Zach are offensively, like those, those guys are like late clock game breakers, right? Like if they can incorporate some early offensive stuff um, to try to speed them up, to try to get a little bit, I mean, I'm sure they would prefer it too, to, to not have that kind of burden. But to me, I think this, this also does really come back to this idea of, roster construction and continuity and yeah i'm i'm trying to be fair and objective about it but i do think you know to your point like if you're if what you're best at is mid-range isolation 
pick and roll heavy offense, you need to have shooters around it. Otherwise you're not doing your guys any favors. And mm-hmm. I think that's somewhat of a failure um, from the front office to not address yes. those issues. When one, they said they would do it. I mean, that was, it was two things that they wanted rim protection and shooting. And, you know, <laughs> they didn't do either. And uh, you know, I, all this, I think comes back to this idea of Lonzo and well, continuity look how good we are when Lonzo is back well also listen to this past hour of things that we pointed out like hey Lonzo was amazing and as I said a million times and I will continue to say like he's my favorite player to watch on this team because of all the things that he does that complement the the really great stars that we have but if you're not going to replace that and you're not going to add shooters or other players that maximize those skill sets you're doing yourself a disservice and so to me I'm just I'm just continuing to not buy continuity. I don't really think it's going to work out better than it was at its best last year. Maybe it won't be as bad as it was at its worst, but if you continue to, you know, beat a square peg into a round hole and, you know, not not do anything to change that, it's going to continue to not work and stuff's going to get harder and harder for Zach and Demar without any real release valve and, you know, Again, you have to play to your identity. You have to play to who you are, but you also need to like make that possible by providing mm. shooting and spacing and defense around those guys. Otherwise, it's just going to continue to be really flat. A hundred percent. And look, I have some takes about AK and Lock, obviously, um, some of which I'm not going to launch into now because we're, we're an hour deep in, but also because I'm fearful of maybe some of the backlash that I would receive given the amount of goodwill that these guys have with the fans. But like, it's just, it just... And I say this as someone that's a, a massive Billy Donovan fan, so I'm, I'm I'm biased when I say this. But like, it would be ridiculous of me to sort of say the Bulls need to shoot more threes. Why is Billy Donovan and, and his coaching staff uh, coaching this team to the point where they're the last in three point attempt rate? Like that's something we often hear. Or like, why is this team not swinging this ball um, more? Why are we going so ISO heavy? Why are we shooting so many mid range twos? Like that's often the thing that comes back and it always, the coaches are blamed for this sorts of thing. But like to me, like, and you touched on it here and I got excited when you did, but like so much of this is not about coaching. So much of it is about roster construction. So like for me, like if I want to complain or if I've got an issue that the Bulls are a poor offensive rebounding team and they don't generate enough second chance points via offensive rebounding, why am I blaming the players? Why am I blaming Billy Donovan for the system being as such? when that is the natural tendency of this team. Like you're playing a very small lineups out there. What are you expecting? How are you expecting this team to get on the offensive class from that point of view? Similarly, like from a three-point attempt rate, like as I said, um, when you're kicking the ball out to Javante Green or Derek Jones Jr. or whoever it may be, a, a guy that's not a high-volume shooter and when they do shoot, they're, they're often not guarded at all or they don't have a high three-point percentage. Why are we surprised that Billy Donovan's offense is not generating many threes? Is that Billy Donovan's fault or is that the roster construction? So I keep coming back to it being a, a an AK problem from that perspective. I think you have more control of what you can do game to game from offense. Uh, sorry, from defense. But in terms of you know massive structural things that you can do on offense, so much of that just comes back to the natural char- uh, char- characteristics and tendency of the guys you do have on on the roster. So. I don't think there is a lot of scope here to, to change things offensively because just look at who you have on the roster. That's what I keep coming back to. So it's not a coaching thing. It's not the, it's not even the player's fault even. Like this is just who they are. If you want things to be seismically different on offense, then I think you need different players. 
Yeah, and I think it's a player development thing too. We talked about Pat a few weeks ago and what he needs to be in order to sort of develop the way that that you want him to, that I want him to, that all you know Bulls fans want him to. Um, you know, if you're developing him by putting him in the corner and asking him to shoot threes because he's the power forward and he's got to do that next to Demar and Zach, then is that the best version of Patrick? I mean, is that who he's going to become as a player? That's like this sort of untouchable you know, 20 year old phenom that is going to be the, the one that leads the bulls to the promised land. I'm, I'm not so sure. And so I think it does open up all these other questions that we'll have the ability to dive more into as this off season progresses. Uh, it's still the middle of August. Patrick Williams is still 20 years old for another week. One um, more week. One more week. One more week. And then we'll <laughs> pop the bottles over here. Um, but Mark, Mark, this was fun. And, it sounds like we've got a lot more to talk about next week. Anyway, uh, I think we'll we'll use this as an opportunity to sign off, but thanks so much for listening. We will see you next time, Bulls fans.